Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us for another episode of the Ask the Expert North Texas podcast. I'm Kristen Diaz. I'm David Rankin. Thanks so much for joining us. We've been hearing a lot of stories about the refugees that are evacuating out of Ukraine. One of the main places that they've been going to is the nation of Poland right on the border. And of course, there are people that want to do something to help those refugees and and help the people that are also helping them. In the KRLD Zoom room today, we're joined by Greg Stebbin. He is part of a unique enterprise where they're looking to have ambulances sent into not only Poland, but to Ukraine. And he's joining us. Greg, thank you so much for the take for taking the time. Oh, it's really great to be here. Uh, I am here in Warsaw, and it's my pleasure to be talking with you. Why ambulances? Well, the interesting thing is that, you know, you and I think about ambulances as something that transports you from your house or a car wreck to the hospital. Mm -hmm. That's not what they're used for in Ukraine during a period of war. They're actually used as mobile hospitals themselves. So if you're injured on the battlefield or you're a civilian and your your building is bombed, then um, there's a mobile hospital right outside your door nearby that's an ambulance. They don't have to transport you anywhere. They can care for you right from there. Can I interrupt? My phone is going off and you're probably hearing it. And I'm really sorry about that. Can we start over? No worries. We'll just edit this part out. Hang on one second. I was trying to shut the bell off while I was talking and I it refused. So please bear with me. No worries. It won't stop. I'm turning Someone. the phone off. <laughs> it literally would not stop. I'm sorry. No, that's all right. Let's let's just uh begin from your from your answer about why ambulances okay so you know at home you think about an ambulance as as being a tool for transport right you get in a car wreck or you're sick at home or at work it comes picks you up and takes you to the hospital that's not what's happening in ukraine in ukraine those ambulances are actually used as mobile hospitals themselves so if you're hurt on the battlefield or you're your apartment building is bombed and you need medical care, you don't have to go to the hospital. You just go to an ambulance and get the care you need. Of course, Russia knows this too. So what they've been doing is destroying as many ambulances as they can. And so I'm working with an organization called BE for Ukraine. BE stands for Belgium. The group of Belgians, group of Belgians that have been raising money to replace these ambulances. And believe it or not, this organization didn't even exist two months ago. They've raised over a million dollars for ambulances. And, and it's a really incredible cause because this is delivering care to Ukrainians right where they need it most, right on the battlefield or where their home or apartment has been bombed. 
And, and how does the process work? Are these ambulances that are out of commission in other surrounding countries and they are able to bring them in? Or I would imagine it would take a long time for us to do that here to send them all the way over there. Well, right. It's, it's actually a great question. And, and it's the first question I had. But here's the amazing thing. I actually went and met this group of Belgians a week or so ago as they were delivering six ambulances to the border. They are brand new, beautiful ambulances. And I think the reason is if they could get them used and equipped in the way that was best suited for the Ukrainians, they would probably do that. But time is of the essence here, right? So the fastest way to get the ambulances is because frankly, the time is even more important than the money. The fastest way to get the ambulances is exactly the way they need them equipped. It's just to go buy them new. And it's one of the things this group has done in less than two months is to find a source for them. So they're in Belgium. They drive them right up to the Ukrainian border. In fact, I'm still holding out hope that I will get to drive one of those ambulances across the border into Ukraine. And what's also beautiful is each of these ambulances costs $55,000. So by the way, if you own a company and you want to put your name on one like a NASCAR sponsor, they will take your money and give you sponsorship of an ambulance, which I think is brilliant. But not only do they raise the $55,000 for the ambulances, then they stuff the ambulances full of donated medical supplies. So this stuff is all donated. So there's twenty dollars or $30,000 worth of medical supplies in the ambulance. So they pay $55,000, but they're driving a vehicle that's now worth about eighty. And this, you know, when they drive up to the Ukrainian border, and it's all prearranged, there's uh, members of the military there to meet them and get them across the border and where they're needed most. But, you know, this is like a gift from God, the ambulance itself and all the medical supplies inside them. What are those, what are the medical professionals able to do in those ambulances that, uh, say, for example, a hospital would do? Can, can they do surgery in them, for example? I don't, I, I don't think they're able to do that kind of medical treatment. I mean, simply, have you ever been in an ambulance? I have. There's not, you can't even stand up. So I don't know how you would do, you know, surgery, but I'm sure you can treat a, a wound to a leg or an arm, even a neck or a chest. I'm sure they're still needing ambulances to transport people to hospitals. But the truth of the matter is there's probably a very large percentage of injuries on the battlefield that don't need to go to a hospital. And if you can treat those people right there, well, you keep them out of the hospital. So the hospitals are free for the people who are, are injured to a higher degree. And you may even enable them to get back home or back to the battlefield to go back and fight again. Is this, uh, you know, I know you're saying that a lot of them are getting destroyed, but are any of them able to be repaired through this group um, as they're taking on fire? Well, I don't, that's not part of what this group is doing. There may be people doing that. We've, of course, heard stories about, you know, the Ukrainians, it turns out, are kind of, from my understanding, kind of like MacGyvers, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, the the tank gets blown up and they start pulling parts out of it to do other things. I've heard about them taking, you know, electronic warfare equipment that the Russians leave behind and they find ways to use it. So I'm sure when a, a, a Ukrainian ambulance gets blown up, they find ways to use the parts that they can, but that's still not as effective ultimately as replacing them because you can count on a replacement ambulance to do exactly what it was intended to do. If you're trying to salvage them, it's kind of a hit or miss proposition. Poland has been one of the nations in that area that have taken in a lot of refugees from Ukraine. What is it like? Have you met many of the refugees that have come across the border? Have you been able to talk with them? 
Well, let me paint a picture for you of what it's like here. I've been here about a month. And the reality is even when I got here a month ago, the huge wave, you know, literally millions, I'm not exaggerating, millions of people came through Poland. There's still 300,000 people just in Warsaw. It increased the population of Warsaw by somewhere between 15 and 20%. Can you imagine one day 15 to 20% more people in your city, by the way, who don't speak your language. Now you're in Texas, so you may be nodding your head and saying, yeah, we kind of have an experience of that. They don't speak your language. Their money's no good anymore. And it's not that they left for typical reasons of immigration, but they literally fled their house with 10 minutes or 10 hours of notice, and they never know if they can go back. Very different circumstances than what we see at south of the board, right? I don't wanna, I don't wanna draw a comparison there. But imagine millions of people show up in your country and Poland's not a very big country to begin with. And, and it all happens within a week or two. Where do they sleep? What do they eat? How do they get health care? How do you even transport them from the border? It's been the Polish people, the people, not the government in the beginning, but the Polish people who just stepped up and said, we have to help these people. And literally people were, I have a friend whose son was driving his Tesla to the border five hours, picking up families, driving home, charging somewhere in between, charging again, driving back and doing it again. I'm thinking to myself, it's my Tesla and I'm driving refugees back and forth. Absolutely. People were making food. They were literally opening the, the doors of their home and saying, I've never met you before. I've never seen you before. Please come in my house. I'll make you dinner, have a shower and go to sleep and feel free to stay for a week or two. You know, that's really, for most of us, pushing the boundaries of what we think we're willing to do. And that's what hundreds of thousands of Poles did. I, I think at the end of the day, this is gonna be a case of a humanitarian situation that goes down in history because of the generosity of the Poles. It's an amazing story. And you've been able to talk to, to some of the, the Ukrainians. And I know you've, you've been doing a podcast with a member of the Russian government that is now um, kind of dealing and, and speaking for Ukraine. Yes. What, the person that you're dealing with, who is this? His name is, and forgive me if I have to pronounce his name several times, it's a, it's a challenge for my Western tongue. But his name is Ilya Ponomonorov. And he's actually a former member of the Russian parliament. So he was an elected official like our Congress, an elected, uh, an elected uh, member of parliament in Russia. In 2014, he was the only member of the Russian parliament to vote against the annexation of Crimea. And he said at the time, or he predicted that if this, you know, if this annexation happened, it would ultimately lead to Russia invading Ukraine. He was right, obviously. And then he said, he vowed, if Russia invades Ukraine in the future, I will fight for Ukraine. And that's exactly what he's doing today. And I was actually sent here as a volunteer with an organization called Beams. It's B-E-A-M-Z, beams.live. Uh, it's an online TV platform. And they saw the use of their platform as a way of disseminating information to people in the United States and Canada. So I was sent here as a volunteer with them. They met Ilya told him about their platform. And he and I now are doing a show every Thursday at uh, 10 o'clock central time where he can share his understanding of both Russia 
Ukraine, and he's also spent time living in the United States, so he understands our mindset as well. So first of all, being an elected official, elect, an elected member of parliament in Russia, knowing the West as he does because he's lived here, and knowing Ukraine, he's really able to look at the situation, get into Putin's head, and begin to understand to a Western, begin to explain to a Western audience, you know, this is what the thinking is. This is probably what's going to happen next. This is what you should be worried about. He, he's a brilliant strategist, and the interviews themselves are really fascinating. Yeah. Greg Stebbin is a media consultant, public relations expert. He is in Warsaw, Poland. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. Thank you. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.